0: Well, again, Lord, we thank you for the love that's been shed abroad in our hearts in the first place by you. And thank you for the wonderful image that mothers are to us, an expression of your love in so many ways. And as we come to your word, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, please be seated. And it is great to honor our mothers living... And to remember them, if they've gone on to be with the Lord, just yesterday I was running around with the family, checking out things around the town here, and thinking to myself how much my mother would have loved just driving around and seeing all the spring greenery up and down the different lanes and roads that surround us here. It's great to honor motherhood. The whole business of raising a family and the place, the very special place that a mother has in that. I'm afraid over the last, I don't know how many decades, maybe three or four decades, there has grown up a notion that raising a family and having a stay-at-home mom to take care of the children is somehow inferior to a career in the marketplace, to having a name and a title and an office and a paycheck. And that's a great sadness. Because the most important task given to any generation is to raise the next generation. To know and love the Lord. To be caring, loving, relational people amongst their peers. To become responsible citizens who choose the right over the wrong. And in their generation, raise another generation to care Very dear friend of mine who was a very famous speaker maybe a decade or so ago, Anthony Campolo, very humorous, a kind of Don Rickles of the Christian world. He had a way of uh, preaching and teaching that was both inspirational, humorous, and very straight ahead and at you in your face. And he was asked to speak to very powerful influences, influential rather, audiences of people. He was actually invited at one time to go visit the president and give him counsel. And his wife would often be traveling with him, and there would be some great festive banquet and a head table, and she began to feel more and more uncomfortable at that head table because she had chosen to be a stay-at-home mum ma- and raise their two sons. And so people would ask her what she did, and she felt like saying, well, I'm a housewife, didn't cut it in these very grand audiences. So her husband said to her, well, you need to, s- to think through an answer you might give when they ask you what you do. And a couple of weeks later, they were out at another banquet, and she was at the table with all these high-powered people. And a lady asked, almost condescendingly of Peggy, that was his wife's name, what she did. What do you do, my dear? Well, this was her answer, that Tony heard her give. I'm nurturing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition. In order that they might be instruments of social transformation to turn the earth into the eschatological utopia that God envisioned from the beginning of time. And then Peggy said to the lady next to her... who ask the question, and what do you do? <laughs> to which she said, I'm only a lawyer. <laughs> We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13... ...which is a description of love. Human love, one person for another. The supreme example of this kind of love... Is the Lord Himself, Almighty God. Almost next to Him in our human experience are our mothers. And the kind of love that it takes to be a mother and to raise a family and to care for those little ones. I've often thought to myself, what must it be like to be a mother? and carry that child in your womb, to have a living soul in your own body. Us guys will never, ever know that. And then to carry that child in your arms, we get to get in on that. And in your hearts, and in your prayers. But it would seem preeminently so that we look back on our mothers as the ones who express that care and that love, and they look back on those lives of ours when we were just little ones. I love to see young families today, here I am, a grandfather now, but to see young families With little ones trailing, whether it's through an airport or a supermarket. And I say to Kathy, I'd love to do it all over again. We've raised four daughters, one of them adopted, and three from Kathy's own body. And it's such a privilege and a pleasure and a joy to have those little ones around. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes with it too. In 1 Corinthians 13, and you can find this on page 6 in your survey sheet, and a note page if you want to jot some notes down. But in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13, it describes both what love is and what love is not. And the common denominator of this early description of what love is, having had the whole dramatic point made that without love we're absolutely nothing, and that love is the core and center of who we are to be as human beings. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. And that last phrase, self-seeking, epitomizes this description of love because every description of what it is or is not is other-oriented. It's not about self-love. It is not self-centered. In the first place, love is not about us, but about others that we love and how we express that love. And all these descriptions mean there must be somebody else there that we're responding to. So when it says love is patient, it means somebody else is driving us nuts, but because we love them, we don't just fly off at the handle. It says that love is kind. That's an expression towards somebody else. And when it describes what love is not, it's denying all the self-seeking, self-aggrandizing things such as it is not proud. It does not boast. It does not envy. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Love is other-oriented. And when you go down to verse 11, there is that very famous verse about a child. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I put childish ways behind me. What's the common denominator of a child? Self-centeredness. It's all about the kids i tell you this, whatever boundaries you've set up for yourself to be psychologically secured, you get a child and those boundaries come tumbling down. A child demands attention. It's all about them. That's the opposite of what love is. Although you have to laugh at it from time to time, we're having a big family gathering of our family in June. Family from England and the family around the USA, we're all gathering together in one place. But it so is the case that our youngest grandchild is going to be eight years old while we're away together. And guess what she thinks? We're all gathering together from around the world to celebrate her eighth birthday. It's all about her. It's like during a treacherous thunderstorm, I heard this instance of a, in a wicked, I mean loud clashing thunderstorm with lightning flashing around. Parents ran up to the bedroom to see whether their child was terrified or not, whether the child was sleeping or what. And they went into the bedroom, they gently put their heads in in case the child was sleeping, but the child was up on the windowsill spread-eagled against the window. Mum and dad said, what on earth are you up to? She said, God's out there trying to take my picture. (laughs) I mean, the whole thunderstorm was about her. And God, with a flash camera, trying to Capture a photograph of her. Of course, you can go get pictures taken after this. I don't know how long it would take if you all wanted your selfie photograph, but we've set it up so that you can do that. Around mom and honor her. Do you know, and it's most astounding, that when God created us after his likeness and image. He created us both to love him and for him, himself, to love us. Scripture says very, very clearly, God is love. And in that love, God is other-oriented. He loves us. He created us to love us. And given what we have done with all that he's given us. It goes beyond just his loving us. But his love for us being unconditional. Because there's not a thing we have done or can do to him that would make him love us any less. By the same token, there's nothing we can do to make him love us anymore. He loves us. And the expression of that follows on when it speaks about the kind of love that he has for us. In verse 5, when it speaks about this love, not being self-seeking, it goes on to say this, is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs the thing i have loved about my all my memories of my mother my brother and i were very very obnoxious naughty boys we weren't wicked in the sense that we did wicked things we were just, as I've described, described it, creatively obnoxious. <laughs> we were always up to some kind of mischief. It never ended. And I remember my mother on one occasion just sitting and crying because there's nothing more she could do to control us. Well, that really got to us. And my brother Tony and I went up to her and said, Don't cry, Mum, we'll be good. Well, that would last about two minutes. But for all our naughtiness, broken windows, jam tarts stolen from the pantry, my mother, years after I had grown up, let me know that there were things I did which were very, very wrong that I didn't think she knew about. It's amazing what she knew. But my mother never ever stopped loving me. And how remarkable it is that you can never do anything to stop God loving you. We're going to come to it in just a moment, but the word for love here means sacrificial love. And God has so loved us that he sent his son to die for us. That's how much he loves us. There's a price to pay when you love like that. And mothers pay that price. And we admire them for it. and We love them for it. It's amazing how often you see on television... When some athlete has done something spectacular, the camera will pan to him. And when the guy knows he's on the camera, you see his, loves, his lips go, Love you, Mom. Love you, Mom. There is not a thing, it would seem to us, I've had grown children be so heartbreaking to their parents. And just recently had a mother weeping with me because of that grown adult child. So taking advantage of her and hurting her and rejecting her and saying unkind things. And she still loves on, loves that child. The image of God coming as a loving father to seek us when we clear off and squander his goodness and his gifts to us, is something we sense much more with our mothers than often our dads. That uncompromising, unconditional love. It's a great example of God's love for you and me. But it's not that mothers are soft and soppy, as we would say in England, or that God is soft and soppy. There's another great statement here. It not only says that God keeps no record of wrongs, but it does say that he delights in what is good and true. Look at verse 6. Love does not delight in evil... But rejoices with the truth. Another translation explains what it means to rejoice with the truth with rejoicing in what is good and right. We've so relativized good and evil today that in the general culture you can't distinguish one from the other except by personal choice. But there really is good and there really is evil. There really is right and there really is wrong. And just as it says here, love rejoices with what is right, not with what is wrong. With what is true, not a lie. And mothers get that. I was in a very unique situation growing up with my mother because my dad had died when I was seven. So my mother was both mother and father to me, and our brothers, my brothers. But I knew what was right and wrong. We never went to church, but I knew what was right and wrong. I knew good manners. We never prayed. We didn't have God as our hero. But mother always taught us good manners and how to respond. When I talk about somebody she... And maybe if I'm saying to my brother, she, I'm pointing to mother, mother would cut us right off. She said, she is the cat's mother. You call a person by name, I'm your mother, I'm not she. She taught me manners, she taught me right from wrong. It was a very good basis for me to understand how much I needed Jesus when he was presented to me. But mothers are often the ones who teach us all the little things about how to speak, how to eat, how to regard one another. Teach us the basic essentials of what is moral and what is immoral. Love isn't just mush. It does delight in what is right and not in what is wrong. So, coming to that concept of what this love is, look at what it says in verse 7, which is toward the end of this reading. It always protects. Another translation, bears all things. Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Between that first statement of being protective and bearing things and that last one about always persevering, you get the concept of what this love is because it's not a love like romantic love that draws men and women together. It's not familial love where we love our mothers and fathers. It's not friendship love where we have companions and associates that we regard highly. It's another word that describes love in God's terms, that God so loved the world, and this is the word that's used. In Greek, it's agape, which most of us have heard along the way, but it's a sacrificial kind of love. And when God so loved the world, it cost him, it cost him his son. When Jesus loved you, it cost him. And the love that's being described here as to how we ought to love one another is costly. It's not easy. It makes good sense. And if the world could love like this, it would be a spectacular world. Families and homes would be spectacular places. The workplace would be. Our schools would be. But we're not willing to pay that price. But mothers have no option. The price that a mother pays. I've got a little poem here, Before I Was a Mom. It's not one that rhymes, but it's a kind of soliloquy. She said, Before I was a mom, I made and ate hot meals, I had unstained clothing. And I had quiet conversations on the phone. Before I was a mom, I had never been puked on, pooped on, spit on, chewed on, and peed on. I had complete control of my mind, my thoughts. I slept at night. Before I was a mum, I never had to hold down a screaming child so doctors could do a test or give a shot. I never looked into teary eyes and cried myself. I never sat up late hours at night watching a baby sleep. I never held a baby just because I didn't want to put it down. I never felt my heart break into a million pieces before I was a mom. When I couldn't stop the hurt. I never knew that something so small could affect my life so much. In that description, you get little taste of what a mother Lives with through all those early years of childhood. And even in many ways through the adolescence and rebellion of the kids as they want to assert their own independence. And as I've just mentioned, on into adulthood. But you know, we've spit on God, we've puked on God. We've peed on God. What we did to God when He came in the flesh, in love, in Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's a wonderful poem I've just picked up recently. And I don't have it memorized, but the image is of Jesus on Calvary, dying on the cross. And then Jesus in Birmingham, England, in the rain, against the wall, people walking by him, ignoring him, taking absolutely no notice of him. And Jesus, in the cold, left alone, crying out for Calvary because of the pain of indifference being expressed in Birmingham, England. That's what we've done to God, living our lives without him, full of ourselves. You know how a parent's heart is broken when your children behave like that toward you, and how gratifying it is when they say one kind thing, show that kind love, God understands a mother's heart. He understands you. Let's bow our heads and speak to him in prayer, shall we? Dear Lord, it's been so amazing to consider the love you created when you created us love for one another, love to be the norm. how we have abused your love and become so self-centered and full of self-absorption forgive us Lord we pray on this day when we honor our mums and say thank you to them that just each of us here in these moments might understand how we need to honor you. You who are the heart and soul of love. We're able to love because you first loved us, Lord. But again, we thank you for our mothers and the way their love has helped us even in these moments to understand your love. Thank you, Lord. Amen.